So this is Scott Morey with GPG Advisors, and this is our next RE Insight podcast series. And I think we're very fortunate today and have a very, I think, timely and important topic. But we've got Ragnar Liefracer, uh, who is the founder of the International Blockchain Real Estate Association. He's also the founder and CEO of VLOX. And we're excited to have his time today. And Ragnar, I want to thank you for, for doing the podcast. Thanks for having me, Scott. So, Ragnar, I, I wanted to start in, in your sort of history and, and career history and working history about when you first started getting into real estate and then what got you into real estate and, and what initially you were, you were doing. Thanks. Yeah, I got my first start in real estate back in 2006. Um, in residential real estate. Um, I had a friend who was a successful residential broker and I had a previous career doing some other things and I uh, always, always loved real estate. So that's how I got started. Got my California salesperson's license and just started to work from him, work for him, excuse me, and here in Orange County, California. And then from there it just progressed. I ended up uh, going back to graduate school and getting my master's in real estate development from Columbia. And then uh, you know, I did a bunch of things, uh, mostly very entrepreneurial, so development, entitlement work, um, you know, underwriting. I did a year in title insurance. Uh, after the crash, I flipped homes, renovated homes, ended up getting my general contractor's license as well in California. So over, uh, call it from 2006 to 2012, you know, six, six plus years of pretty variable residential and commercial real estate did, did just about everything really besides I think escrow and, and, uh, and a couple other things. But it gave me a really good broad background in real estate. Well, I know that's playing quite a role in, in what you're doing today, but why don't you sort of quickly transition to around Bitcoin and blockchain and, and how you were first exposed to that and, um, and what that resulted in. I started to get involved and interested in Bitcoin in 2011 and, and, and a lot in 2012 when I read about it in an online forum and it, it just uh, it immediately stuck with me and I became obsessed with it, and, which was strange to me because I had never been that interested in technology. I've always been pretty about, you know, uh, physical buildings and nature and uh, not too much on the tech side and never got like video games or was into computers. But something up it, about Bitcoin just, uh, it, it just really struck me as so compelling and fascinating. So around 2012 is when I got involved in Bitcoin and then, uh, and then just started to think how it could be applied to real estate. And I saw so many opportunities because, you know, in real estate, we have a lot of middlemen, we have a lot of inefficiencies, um, and we're kind of a little behind traditionally in terms of technology. And what I saw with Bitcoin is this peer-to-peer open source platform that allows you to transfer value in a very efficient but also secure way. And I thought, shoot. And that's, that's exactly what we need in real estate. It's, it's, uh, you work in real estate long enough, you start to lose years off of your life from all the forms and paperwork and, and different third parties you have to go through. 
So uh, I had my first attempt at a startup in kind of early 2013. And that same year in 2013, I started, like you said, the International Blockchain Real Estate Association uh, just as a way to try to find other people besides myself who wanted to combine you know, real estate and, and Bitcoin. So that's kind of the genesis of, of those two things. And who, who did you find that did have interest? I mean, I know you and I just met not that long ago, right? We met last year, and it really seems like in the last two years, at least where I sit, which I'm far removed in a way and, and probably in, in, uh, too far removed, but um, more and more people either at the board level are getting asked about blockchain or you're just hearing chatter within the CIO level within realist organizations. But you're going back to... 2011 and 2012, and many people didn't even know what the word meant, and today are still trying to comprehend it. But how, how, like over the last six, seven years, where have you found people that have shown the greatest interest within real estate, and um, and what do they try to do with it? I've been surprised at the diversity of people who who in real estate have become interested in, in Bitcoin and blockchain. So back then, you know, 2012, 2013, there was very few people. All I did was I just started actually just a LinkedIn group is how it started. And I added my friends in real estate. They didn't know what Bitcoin was, but I, I didn't want to be the only person in my LinkedIn group. So as a, as a favor, you know, I asked them, hey, can you join my LinkedIn group? They didn't know what it was. They didn't care, but at least there was more than, you know, one person in the group. Um, so in the early days, the, the people who, who are interested in both uh, generally tended to be um, – kind of software engineers who were either worked for a real estate company or, you know, their family was involved in real estate. But, but your, most of your real estate people that you would encounter were, were not interested in it at all, didn't hear about it. Um, but like you said, uh, in the last two years, definitely that has changed, and in the last year especially. So kind of a broad swath of people, um, you know, brokers, commercial and residential, uh, developers, owners, uh, the lawyers, uh, title insurance companies actually were surprisingly some of the first major companies to be looking at it closely a few years ago, actually. So in the last couple of years, yeah, I'd say it's been just very broad, residential, commercial, all sides. I think it, it's not so much a function of their profession, but just I think who they are as, as people and their unique interests in life and personality, too. Well, before we get sort of too far into this, I think it'd be great to hear you articulate, kind of define what Bitcoin and, and blockchain means. And for some people today, they still probably think those things are one and the same, which obviously they aren't. But could you share sort of a very simple level how you would define those today and, and uh, what those mean? Sure. So, you know, obviously Bitcoin is the first blockchain. But in general, blockchain technology is a protocol for transferring value directly peer-to-peer uh, -peer, uh, without the need or permission from a third party. And it uses various mechanisms to achieve that consensus. Um, but what blockchain does is allows you to, uh, in the case of Bitcoin, transfer currency. And this, these transfers, all these transactions are... Um, recorded in a ledger, which we call the blockchain. So what is the blockchain? A blockchain is a chain of blocks. <laughs> and in those blocks, 
are a bunch of transactions which are ordered uh, together. So there's a couple of things that let me be sure that I understand as well as I think obviously it's they are blocks and there's a structural uh, logical path right as, as they get changed. In a way, some people would equate to an old school ledger if I was writing it down, right? if I'm being real simple about it in, in a book. But I think it's also my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is the blockchain is, is a logical sort of uh, audit trail, for lack of a better term, I guess, or just sort of the logical transactions that occur for, for a given thing. But I also believe, and maybe my understanding is wrong, that ledgers are, there's multiple ledgers that are kept but simultaneously, meaning that if, if to keep it in simple terms, I'd be total off here, I want you to correct me, but meaning if you and I were doing business together, let's say no one else was involved, simultaneously those updates would occur on, on both of our uh, ledgers, for lack of a better term, and there's no sort of additional intervention as part of that. I mean, they're simultaneous, and, and there's more than one record of what that transaction is. Is that, is that correct? Am I looking at it the right way? Yeah, it's, it's getting there. So in a blockchain, it, it is a ledger because what you have is people around the world doing transactions. So in the case of Bitcoin, you have people around the world sending each other Bitcoins. And, and those transactions are really just changing the ledger saying, you know, Scott uh, sends Ragnar one Bitcoin, and then Ragnar sends Scott half a Bitcoin back. And it's just these uh, constant stream of, of transactions. And unlike, a, you know, a bank database, which we're familiar with, you know, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, they have their own internal database, and they update the balances when you spend money or, or, or earn money. It's not like that with, with Bitcoin or blockchain. Um, that ledger of everyone's transactions is distributed around the world. There's tens of thousands of copies of the same exact ledger. Um, and what you said about those ledgers is those are kept on something called a node, uh, you know, a computer node. So it's when someone runs software either on their computer or special hardware that runs the, the Bitcoin, the blockchain software. And what that allows you to do is you connect to these networks of other full nodes, and everyone is broadcasting their transactions, they're receiving other people's transactions, they're validating if they're valid transactions or if it's a, a potentially fraudulent transactions. So in this way, you have an extreme redundancy of the ledger. So if all of the Internet goes out in North and South America and Asia and Africa and most of Europe, uh, as long as you have at least you know, two full nodes running the ledger somewhere around the world, you have a complete and full copy of everyone's transactions. So, so to your point about the ledger, yes, um, the ledger is a distributed ledger based on uh, computer nodes that anyone can run, so it's extremely redundant. But um, going back to the big picture of you know, what is blockchain, what is Bitcoin, um, the ledger is, is often overrated when people try to understand this. Uh, the ledger is obviously very important, but what everyone I think misses is the financial incentives um, for people to be able to work together without trusting one another. And that's what, that's what makes it, I think, so unique compared to a bank ledger or a tax ledger or something like that. Because there's incentives such that the users, 
the miners and everyone else have to work together, otherwise they will lose, lose money. So having the right financial incentives for complete strangers uh, to run the same software and play fair, that's, that's a, key, a key distinguishing uh, technological advancement that blockchain introduced. Well, I think it's, it's interesting on two fronts as well. Um, one is about we suddenly create this level of transparency. Forgetting about encryption and the data for a second, we're going to get there, but just a level of transparency. And then the second one is the efficiency. So the amount, as you and I know, depending upon not even just real estate in general, where people are manually, in theory, but manually could be a, their own computer software, tracking some transaction. And um, it just, you know, the more parties involved, the more duplicative and additional effort that's required that under this structure really creates, again, transparency related to the transactions, but equally important or maybe more important, the efficiencies are, are huge, right? Well, blockchains are, are both, they're terribly inefficient, but they're much more inefficient than other processes. So as a, as a ledger, blockchain's a, a terribly inefficient ledger. It's a terrible way to keep a ledger, unless what you're trying to do is to keep a ledger among parties who don't trust each other, who are actually probably hostile and trying to attack each other. Because, for example, your bank database, let's say you bank with Bank of America, they, it's much more efficient to have a centralized database that you control. And that works as long as you trust Bank of America, as long as something goes wrong with Bank of America, there's a remedy for that. But when you have a global distributed ledger, if, if you and I are running the ledger, I, I just can't trust you. As much as I think you're a great guy, I just can't trust your version of the ledger for various reasons, much less you know, ledgers being run in, in different parts of the world by anonymous people. So, so, so it's important to understand um, if you're, do you need a blockchain or not? And, and most often the, question, the answer is no, unless you're trying to eliminate, unless you're trying to deal peer-to-peer -peer with people and, and trying to transfer value that way. And in that case, yes, blockchain is much more efficient than, than a lot of the processes we have now in real estate of the various third parties and, and intermediaries. And then in terms of the transparency, it's interesting. It, it, it's, uh, it's kind of subtle with blockchain in terms of how transparent and opaque it is. So in some ways, yes, blockchain is radically transparent, um, but it's also extremely anonymous. Um, it just depends on what you choose to share. So that's what's great about it is there's, there's some things you could hide and there's some things you, you make radically public. And, and a lot of that is up to the user. Well, that leads to I want to get into your pilot with Cook County and, and title in general. But on a tangent, you, you may not know this about me, nor should you, but you know, I lived in Nigeria for a couple of years. And title there relative to land rights and who owned what was um, – couldn't have been worse. <laughs> and of course, you always hear the stories about people, you know, remotely buying land in in Nigeria or parts of Africa and uh, getting sold a bill of goods that doesn't exist. And so, I'd love for you. I mean, it's interesting because the the Cook County pilot gets a lot of press, and and I don't think you get the credit you deserve for what you did there and what you were part of there. But it'd be great if you could share that pilot and your involvement and what its objectives were and then ultimately the outcome. I appreciate that. Yeah, there unfortunately has been a lot of misunderstanding about the, the pilot program. 
for, for various reasons, so I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk about it. So the pilot program in Cook County was never about government land records. Um, the focus was always about the conveyance. So we need to step back a second and, under, and just quickly review what is title. So a lot of people don't understand that when you transfer ownership of a property, there's actually two separate steps. And the first step is conveyance. That's, a, that's with a deed. So the buyer and the seller get together. They sign a sales contract. The buyer sends the money. And the seller finds the deed and sends it to the buyer. That's nothing really to do with the government. The government doesn't get involved in that. You and I could. I could buy your house today if you and I could agree to it. If, if I give you enough money and you're the rightful owner, we could do that between just you and I and, and no one else, if we're comfortable with that. We probably have the lawyers look at things. But generally, uh, legally, at least, we could definitely do that. So that's one step when we're talking about you know, title, is the transfer of ownership that's done between uh, the two parties. And that's what the, the pilot program focused on, was being able to, to convey property using blockchain. So in, instead of using a paper deed, to transfer ownership. We use a blockchain-based deed to transfer ownership. So in terms of title, once you've transferred ownership of a property, you now want to uh, let the world know that you're the new owner. Um, so that's where you go down to the county clerk's office or the county recorder's office, and you show them the deed, and you say, I bought this property from Scott and I want to record that I'm the new owner, and they do that. They put that into the public record. And so with our pilot program, my startup, vlocks.re, we created the software to do that, and we tested it, and we did everything we needed to make it a blockchain uh, legal deed. And we didn't actually convey uh, a property for various political reasons, but we did test it successfully several times with a local Chicago uh, property owner and developer, and so it was. It was really exciting. Really, really, really happy with with uh, at least those results for the conveyance. And has there been any other pilots like that outside of Cook County? I thought I had read something recently in the last month. Somebody was trying to do the same, but maybe I read it wrong. Um, so in the U.S., no. Um, I know that there was. Um, something in, I think it was Vermont with a startup, but they did not do what we did. Um, I, I probably shouldn't discuss it just because I would rather let people uh, I've, uh, evaluate it for themselves, but it, it was not, um, I'll, I'll just let people evaluate it for themselves based on the facts. But no, there was, there's been nothing else in the United States that has, has done this. Um, outside of the United States, there have been um, a couple other blockchain pilot programs, but they were quite different. So in Sweden, uh, there's a great team over there called ChromaWay, and they've been working with the government on, on, on title. And then in the Republic of Georgia as well, um, they had a pilot program. But in both those cases, they were doing it with a private blockchain, and they were um, doing it more on the recording. So they're quite different. It, 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 probably two in the weeds for most people, both on the real estate and tech side. But, but they were different, um, quite different from what we did in Chicago. Because in, in, in Cook County, 
what we did is we showed that you can use blockchain to transfer ownership of a property without the, the need of permission from, from the government. So yeah, my, my start at Blox, we, we built all the software. The county government didn't run any blockchain software. They, they um, yeah, never did anything in terms of blockchain other than help us you know, sort of craft the legal strategy and the, and the procedural um, protocols for that, in which they were, they were very helpful. And then, Ragnar, what about other uses that you see today for real estate? What, what would those be? Well, the one that has been happening for years now is using Bitcoin to, to purchase real estate. That's been going on since as early as 2013, but possibly 2012 in, in Japan. Um, not in great volume, but people have been doing it. So that's a nice concrete example of blockchain and real estate is you know, using cryptocurrency and Bitcoin to, to buy real estate. And that's going to only accelerate. Um, in terms of other use cases, uh, definitely I know with a lot of the real estate companies that I uh, am talking with, uh, many are interested in what's called tokenizing their assets or, or tokenizing their portfolios. Well, can you, can you talk about that more? I think I saw something last week with someone who effectively was using that as a means to raise capital for, I think, a hotel or something they were doing. Actually, got a lot of, I think it got some press. But um, I, you know, I view that as a different way of looking at a security, and that's probably the total wrong way of looking at that. But can you, can you share your thoughts about that? Sure. So the, the concept of tokenizing an asset, real estate or otherwise, is, is sort of a, a big topic with a lot of uh, misunderstandings and words that are used to mean various things. So generally what people are talking about when they say tokenizing an asset is they say, we're going to create this blockchain token that represents something regarding a, an asset. So usually it means you create a blockchain token that represents a right of ownership in a building or a right to the profits of, you know, of an asset, um, kind of those two things. So for example, if you have a building, it's sort of like a REIT, a real estate investment trust, right? You have a building and you say, okay, I own this building outright. I want to sell shares in it. I want to raise some money and I'm willing to give people part ownership in this. So instead of issuing, you know, paper shares and creating a REIT, I'm going to issue blockchain tokens and these tokens uh, are sort of a uh, security, actually, like, like you said, that says these people own part of the building or get a dividend you know, every, every quarter. And then these tokens now, um, they can be traded. So you can initially invest and receive the tokens, and then eventually you can sell them when, when you're ready. So yeah, tokenization can mean several things. It can mean um, crowdfunding, actually. It can mean fractionalizing. It could even mean securitizing. Um, so yeah, it means several things. And then in terms of the tokenizing of assets, there's actually two types. One is creating a token that is a security, like you said, which is an interest in a legal entity that owns and operates real estate. But the other way to do it is, is what we did in, in Cook County, which was you actually tokenize the deed or you tokenize the ownership. So it's a big topic. <laughs> But I think it's, it's, it's one that um, 
is potentially a trillion dollar market and it's one that the, the biggest real estate companies are, are really eager to, to, try to try to do right now. So, so if it's being treated like a security, what, um, you would think the SEC would get involved or comment it in some fashion and try to regulate it. Has that happened at all or no? So it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be treated as a security in general. Now there's, there's different, depending on how you do it, it's not always a security. But if you're talking about raising money to invest, obviously that's, that's a security. It's a little bit different if you say fractionalize a deed or, or some others. So there's definitely subtlety to it. But in general, in the way most people are talking about it, it, it should be treated as a security. And the SEC actually doesn't need to come up with any regulations, right? Their, their uh, security regulations are pretty clear. And so all that people need to do is simply comply with what, what those securities laws are. And a lot of real estate folks are comfortable with that if they've done real estate investment trusts. Or, or other things, you know, private placement memorandums, different things. So, you know, there's, there's nothing new to get inventive about. People just need to, to comply with the existing securities laws. Okay. Well, let me, let me shift gears, but it's related in a way. It's this broader initial coin offerings. And I have to, I'm going to show my ignorance. I've got to ask the question, though, is not related to Bitcoin, but you hear about other uh, cryptocurrencies getting hacked and then suddenly money's disappeared, which I just don't understand given the blockchain structure, so I'm definitely showing my ignorance. But I'd love for you to comment on ICOs and then about what these stories really mean when you read about you know, money getting swiped away and, and, and people you know, effectively either losing or can't find it. Sure. So, yeah, two, two different but related topics. So in terms of initial coin offerings or, or ICOs, that's when a, usually a startup issues tokens and sells those tokens in exchange. Obviously, they get capital, and the people who buy the tokens get something for that. Um, either it's the ability to use the platform, or they get a discount on future services, or what they're supposed to really do is have you know, part ownership in, in the startup. Sometimes the tokens have some sort of functional aspect that allows you to unlock some, some function of the software. But generally, ICOs, initial coin offerings, are a way for entities to raise capital. Now, I've been extremely critical of these over the last uh, year or two um, because I feel they've really put blockchain real estate back uh, quite a ways and it's really impeded our, our progress. Um, a lot of these ICOs have, well, in fact, all of them have not been compliant with SEC securities laws, to date at least. Um, many of them have been just outright scams where <laughs> uh, people have been arrested, they've been um, sued, um, and so, I wrote a, a long article about why ICOs are harmful for blockchain real estate. So, yeah, ICOs, a way to raise money, but they're extremely problematic to date. However, I think we're seeing a nice change now because the SEC has been coming down very harshly on them, and now people are, are realizing they need to actually be compliant with the laws. And so I'm, I'm optimistic that this year is going to be a great, a great year for, for for the software, and most of these ICOs are going to hopefully go away. Um, 
So to your second question, or maybe it was your first, about you know, hacking. You know, that's a great point. And there's two ways. So when you hear about, oh, this, you know, this blockchain was hacked or whatever, there's, there's two very different things to know what, what people are saying. So the first one is not the blockchain, but actually it's, it's often the exchanges where these cryptocurrencies are traded, which have been hacked. Um, so just like you can go out and you can buy and sell stocks on an exchange or you can buy and sell currencies on an exchange, you can do the same thing with you know, blockchain assets, Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin or many of these other cryptocurrencies. They're third-party exchanges. They're not running like blockchain software. They're just running exchange software. You, know, you have an account with your name on it and your balance. Um, so those exchanges have been hacked. Now that's, again, not related to blockchain software. Um, just like if I wrote you an email about blockchain and someone hacked my email, you know, they're not hacking blockchain, they're hacking my email. But, right. yes, but yes, there, there have been uh, huge security breaches in different blockchains at the core protocol blockchain level. Not Bitcoin, but Ethereum uh, is, is the second largest blockchain. And that's had numerous security issues, um, both uh, at the wallet level and at the smart contract level. Gotcha, because it really damages the way the press picks it up, obviously, is in a generalization that I think damages the, the overall concepts, right, which there's a lot of good to it. So it's, it's interesting, actually. Yeah, um, and, so, and that's why it's, it's important to distinguish. And, you know, the news is it's wrong so often, so it's so important to know what was hacked. Was it an exchange, which is just running, you know, Microsoft and Excel? Or was it an actual blockchain? But it is important that people realize, yes, some blockchains, not all blockchains are created equal. Um, most of them are actually pretty vulnerable. Um, and that's why me, I'm kind of a, 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 you know, an advocate for picking the most secure blockchain uh, that, that meets your other criteria. And why I've been a little critical of Ethereum over the years because they've had so many security issues that being said, they do some other things that, that Bitcoin doesn't do, so that's why people use it. So in terms of real estate folks, they need to really just understand, hey, like not all blockchains are created equal. They're not all the same thing. They really have to look at each one. Well, you, you, I'm going to sort of ask a question but make a comment too, is that um, you know, I think people are fascinated by these ideas and trying to figure out different uses and doing it. So I... I spent a lot of time on the technology side in a variety of categories, but one of those categories is around counting systems, ERP systems. And I can't tell you how many times in the last year I've heard people ask someone with Yardi and some, or someone at MRI Software saying, how are you going to incorporate blockchain technology within what you do, right? And it, it's interesting, actually, because I think maybe there's a use there, but from what you're talking about, it's hard to say uh, if that's the right place somebody would start. And, and those organizations are trying to develop opinions, meaning if, I'm, if you're a tenant and I'm the owner of that building and I want to send you an invoice for that and you're going to pay me, could you streamline that transaction? And it's less about not trusting someone, but more about the perceived efficiency of blockchain. 
to make that uh, completely automated where today you've got two organizations keeping separate books, but they are trusted parties. Do you, do you ever get questions on that front, or what are your thoughts on it? A little bit. I mean, there is a lot of interest in, um, you know, on the payment space because that's, that's very inefficient, especially when you're tracking payments across assets that change hands. Uh, for example, mortgages. This has been a major problem where you originate the mortgage, it's sold to one company, and then it's sold to another company, and then this, you know, the, the uh, service provider takes it over. Um, and so someone cuts their mortgage tech, check, sends it, and it goes to the wrong bank because the bank sold it, and now it shows that there's a delinquency when they, the people did send the money. Right. Just there's a, yep. there's a delay, right? So, so there, there's that. That's an example. Um, there's an example of you know uh, uh, lease lease agreements, lease payments, um, and yeah, payments are you know payments are still inefficient even with our supposed great fintech technology we have. Um, I encounter this all the time with with my clients where I send them an invoice and they have to do a wire transfer and it's just absolute brain damage. Whereas Bitcoin, it's so simple. All you need is an address or a QR code and you send the money and it's there. It's frictionless 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I don't need to know your personal information, your address, your social security number. I don't need to know your, your routing number. Um, the fees are so much lower. So yeah, for real estate and payments, there definitely is an efficiency there uh, of being able to use Bitcoin. Now, the reason why people don't is because Bitcoin does fluctuate quite a bit. And so people who, who you know, aren't set up to handle that uh, volatility in the Bitcoin price don't want to do it. But for, for certain use cases, it definitely would make sense. Um, and, and I think if, you, um, if these companies that say buy and sell mortgages, if they can use blockchain to keep real-time um, knowledge of who owns the asset, that's something that would be a big, big benefit for, for the payments. What's preventing anyone from you using the blockchain technology uh, but doing it in U.S. dollars? Why couldn't I do it in U.S. dollars versus some other currency or so Bitcoin or anything else? Yeah, it depends on you know the application that you're that you're talking about. So um, generally, the key to blockchain is is that blockchain's native currency. That's what what gives it value. And so when you start going outside of its native currency, now you're starting to introduce layers of complexity, and you kind of end up back where you started. Um, but but to answer your question, you could. Do it. It just depends on your, your exact implementation. So, for example, mortgages. You know, um, what you can do is you can create a token that represents a mortgage, and um, just like it's, it's it's like a Bitcoin. And when that mortgage is bought by one company, then that token goes with it, and anyone can go on the blockchain and 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 look it up and see. Oh, it was it was Bank of America, but now it's Fannie Mae, or now it's you know, this other service provider. Um, and then people could always know exactly where they need to send their money. Now, you're, you're connecting it to a database, nothing to do with blockchain, but at least now, you know, because blockchain is transparent, anyone can simply look it up in real time as it transfers. Um, and I've talked to actually a couple companies about setting that up. So in that case, yes, you could use dollars, where you say, oh, I see my mortgage is now with so-and-so company. I'm going to send my 2,000 U.S. dollars to that, to that company. 
So is, a, is that blockchain? Yes, but it's kind of a creative implementation of it. Gotcha. Well, Ragnar, we're getting close here. We're going to run out of time, so we're getting close to the end. But I, I wanted to ask you a final question, which is for anyone that may be listening, and including myself, if, if I wanted to move forward and learn more about this and, and sort of push, not push the envelope, but just keep progressing forward, what, what can I do um, today and what could the people listening to this podcast today do to, one, stay involved, but two, you know, sort of continue to learn and find uses of how it could apply to themselves? Yeah, great question. So I have uh, I, I have two, two things that people should do. Number one is get skin in the game. That's the most important thing. Um, so buy some Bitcoin if you haven't already um, or another cryptocurrency that you like. Buy some, you know, uh, send it to someone else. Buy something with it. Send it to a different wallet. Uh, until you actually have that skin in the game, you just, this will all be too abstract. And it blockchain is so hard to understand that you'll, you'll never get it. You really have to have hands-on experience with it. And then once you have a little skit in the game, a little bit of money on the line, all of a sudden you start paying attention and you start researching, you know, what's a private key? Oh, this is fascinating. You know, what's a hash? And, and that's where you fully understand it. And you also see where, what blockchain isn't because you see what, what its best use case is. So number one, skin in the game. Uh, you can buy Bitcoin at Coinbase um, or Gemini.com. The second thing I recommend people doing is uh, joining the International Blockchain Real Estate Association. It's free for individuals. And, you know, we have meetups and webinars, and we have a LinkedIn group, and we have a Slack group, and we have videos and educational tools and, and conferences and stuff. So that's, that's important because it's a great way to meet, you know, meet people. Um, and that's what it's all about in real estate. It's still relationship business. No, it definitely, it definitely is. Well, Ragnar, I can't thank you enough for giving us the time today, and it's a fascinating topic, and we could spend hours more talking about it. I also wanted to thank GPG Advisors for sponsoring this podcast. But, Ragnar, thanks again, and I hope our uh, paths cross soon. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you.